Hey friends, welcome to RUF. Uh, so if you've been with us this semester, you know we're working our way through the book of Exodus. And tonight we're going to look at uh, basically Exodus 5 and 6. And the whole theme of our series has been this idea that in Exodus we really get uh, the story, our story of redemption. It's a story about slavery, rescue, uh, wandering through the wilderness with the Lord, and then the promised land. And when you think about yourself, that if, if you belong to Jesus, this is your story. He has rescued you from your slavery to sin. He is walking with you through the wilderness that is life in a fallen world. And he promises that he, even now in this moment, is, is preparing for you and for me. You belong to him, uh, an, an eternal home. And so what we're looking at tonight is basically this, uh, we're, we're getting to like the tension of our story where God is about to face off with Pharaoh. And to do that, I want to read uh, just a portion of Exodus 5, verses 1, I think, to 9. And then chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. So let's turn our attention to God's word. So if you remember Moses, he's had the burning bush. God has told him, he's revealed his name, and he's sending him to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Here's what happens. After Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with with the sword. But the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord, so Moses and Aaron go back to the Lord. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive in to looking at this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you. We are humbled by your word. We are humbled that you have chosen to reveal yourself, not just to Moses and to Aaron and to your people and even to Pharaoh himself, but you have chosen by your word and through your spirit to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, more than anything we need tonight, Lord, Lord, we come, a lot of us come with a broken spirit and we feel like we're in harsh slavery. Our lives feel like they're falling apart. We are confused and we're burdened. And more than anything tonight, we need a fresh vision of who it is that you are to us and what it is that you have promised us, that you are our God and we are your children, we are your people. So Lord, I pray that as you, as we look at this text tonight, that you would be the one who encourages us, that you would be the one who who lifts our faces to remember, to look at, to be in awe of, and to worship the glory that you have shown us and the grace that you have bestowed on us. And Lord, we're desperate for it, and we know that we can't do it apart from you. We just sang it two songs ago, Lord, that we cannot save ourselves, and we cannot, um, we cannot by ourselves get a proper glimpse of your glory. We need your work in us. We need your spirit we need you to reveal yourself and all of your glory and all of your grace and all of your power and all of your love and all of your strength. We need this tonight. I need this tonight. So we humbly ask in the name of Jesus that you would be with, be with us in this way tonight. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So this same day, seven years ago, I was just reading actually this morning, there was this beautiful moment in U.S. bowling history where this guy, his name is uh, Pete Weber, he, a couple things were going to set the scene. A couple things were going on. He's trying to, he's, he was the lowest seed in the U.S. Open of bowling that year. And so he's coming. He gets to the last day. He's made it to the last day. He's in the finals. He's also trying to break his father, who holds the record in the tournament. He's trying to break his father's record. And at the same time, there's a kid in the crowd who is just heckling him the whole time. And there's this beautiful moment as Pete Weber gets to the end of his game and he bowls this amazing strike. And he wins the U.S. Open of bowling, which I didn't know was a thing. Apparently, it's a thing. Maybe some, maybe there's some bowlers here. You can teach me more. He wins the championship 2012, and he goes in this frenzied sort of almost. You can't really understand what he's doing, but in this moment, he says this beautiful line. He says, without stopping, he says, "Who do you think you are? I am." He like yells it, like he he just won the championship, and he just starts screaming, "Who do you think you are? I am." And it like caught on. It was tw- like internet was a thing in 2012, as you know. Went a little bit viral. Uh, he ended up talking about how it became a thing. And he said what he was trying to say is he was trying to say to the, the kid who had been heckling him, who do you think you are? I am the bowling champion, essentially. But the way it came out was beautiful. And as I was reading it, I'm like, this is the perfect way to think about our text tonight. Those two scenes. That's what we're going to do. Who do you think you are? And then this is the first scene. Who do you think you are? Pharaoh sort of says that. Uh, to Moses and ultimately to the Lord, and then uh, the great I am, what the Lord's response to Pharaoh through Moses is going to be. That's what we're going to do. So first, let's think about who do you think you are? So let's set the scene. Pharaoh shows up, or Moses and Aaron show up to Pharaoh. They say, the Lord, of the, the Yahweh demands that you release his people. And Pharaoh's response in verse 2 is fascinating. Look what he says. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice. Now, on the one hand, part of what's going on is Pharaoh was not familiar with their God. He wasn't familiar with the living God, Yahweh himself. 
He wasn't familiar with his works. He wasn't familiar with his ways. He wasn't familiar with his words. On the one hand, he, he just wasn't familiar with God himself, who God himself is and was. But on the other hand, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Part of what he's saying is he's full himself of pride. Is he saying, who does this God think he is? I'm the God. I'm the one with the wealth. I'm the one with the power. I'm the one with the people. I'm the one in charge. And in a sense, it's not just a response of ignorance. It's a response of deep pride in his own heart. What's fascinating when I think about that question, who do you think you are? That in some ways is the question for us. No one put this better ever uh, in terms of theologically speaking than John Calvin. Calvin, when he starts his great work at the Institutes, he has this beautiful line that I think is profound for you and for me. He says there's a twofold knowledge If you're ever going to get very far in the Christian life, if you're ever going to get very far in terms of being a disciple of Jesus, there's a twofold dynamic, a twofold movement going on, a twofold knowledge. It's the knowledge of yourself and the knowledge of the living God. And those two things are always going hand in hand. The more you know yourself and your brokenness, the more you know yourself and your sinfulness, the more you're going to know who it is that the living God who rescues the slaves of sin is. And the more you know God, the more you know him in his glory and in his power and in his grace. When you turn your eyes back from Jesus to yourself, the more humble you're going to be, the less prideful you're going to be. That's the way that it works. But this is the question. The question, I think, out of his lips is so fascinating. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? In some ways, it's an eerily similar question. If you remember the beginning of the Bible, When the serpent comes, Satan himself, in the form of a serpent, he comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. And do you remember what he asks them? Or remember what he says to them? He basically says, did God really say? Did God really say not to touch that tree? Did God really say that? And what he begins to do, this is always where the root of sin begins, is we begin to question two things. We begin to question, on the one hand, the goodness of God. That's what happened for Adam and Eve is Satan's suggestion, his whispered question, which still resonates in our ears today. That's his work in our lives. Can you really trust? Here's what he's saying. Can you really trust that God has your good in mind? Can you really trust that for the rest of your life that God not only knows more than you do, but that he has promised good to you? And on the other hand, with Pharaoh... Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? We know as he says that, even if it drips with some measure of defiance from his lips, part of what's happening is he's questioning not the goodness of God. He's questioning the power of God. Who is this God? He can't possibly be more more powerful than me. He can't possibly be more worthy of worship and affection and service than me. And Pharaoh in this way shows that he's all, we don't just question God's goodness at that question, but we question his power. We question the reality, his authority, that, that God himself has a right to our lives, that God himself is worthy of our worship and our service. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And the question for you is, what about us? How do we enter into this? How, how can we relate to Adam and Eve? How can we relate to Pharaoh? Do we ever, are you ever tempted to question that God intends good for you? That this season of life where maybe you don't know what he's doing, do you ever question that maybe God has forgotten me? Or maybe God really isn't who he says he is. Or maybe he's not really as cracked up to be what he says he is in his goodness and in his grace and in his mercy. Or do you ever think, if you're being honest, this is where I think we don't typically relate to Pharaoh. But if we're being honest with our own hearts, we have that same kind of pride. We have that pride of, 
yeah, who, who, do, who do you think you are? I think I'm somebody. I think I'm somebody who's kind of important. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of somebody because of this, or I'm kind of somebody because of that. And if we're being honest about the pride in our own hearts, that's part of our dynamic and trusting the Lord. I think about a, a time in my own life, so I was a sophomore, I've shared some about I was a sophomore in college. I had thought about, if you have been already up, I thought about transferring to Clemson. I was dating a girl at the time, and we went through this really painful breakup at the end of my sophomore year that really undid me. It was the kind of breakup where I was sure, I told you I had read Nehemiah through the lens of the Lord. I think the Lord's telling me, stay in the relationship, which is not what the book of Nehemiah is ultimately about. Shocker, spoiler. So I stay in the relationship foolishly. I'm trying to make it work. She eventually breaks up with me. She's a senior in high school. I'm a sophomore in college who hasn't even really done college yet because I'm so obsessed with this relationship. But right after she breaks up with me, I have a dear friend who is just trying to console me. So he's like, let's go to the beach. I've got some friends from Clemson. They're actually involved with RUF. They're going to the beach this weekend. Just come with me. I know you're sad. I know you're depressed. I know you, you haven't brushed your teeth in a week or left your bed in a couple weeks. It's okay. Come with me to the beach. And I'm like, all right, can't keep doing life like I'm doing it. So let's go. So we go. And like, it was, it was the kind of crowd that wouldn't normally be my crowd. Like there was a, a girl there named Eowyn who was named after an obscure Lord of the Rings character, just to give you a little feel, a little feel for the crowd there. And I was like, these are clearly not my people, but I'm here. And, uh, Love Lord of the Rings, just hadn't read it at that point in my life. I wasn't further, I wasn't mature enough in the Lord. So we go for a walk on the beach. We're at Polly's Island, if you've ever been there. And I have this experience. I'm not, I know that sometimes there's a way of doing the Christian life where we make it all about experience. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I did have this moment where we're walking. It's probably midnight, after midnight, we're walking on the beach. And have you ever experienced, this is the first time in my life I'd ever experienced this. Have you ever experienced bioluminescence? Man, it will change your life. If you don't know what it is, you can Google it. But it's essentially, I've never seen it before in my life, but you, as you step, like it was basically um, a tidal pool that had since, you know, the water had kind of dripped off. And as you step in the sand, it was like a million little lights just sparkled. And I was like, what is this magic? Like I would step and be like, sparkles. And I was like, this is amazing. Aside from the amazing part, there was a moment, it was a moment for me where it was as if, as I was watching God in his glory revealed through nature, it was as if in that moment I became really, really small and I got a little bit of perspective. And it was as if the Lord had said, do you remember who I am? I, I knew the Lord at that point in my life, but I really went headlong into a kind of a foolish relationship in this season of life for me, even though I was depressed, the Lord was really drawing me back to himself. And it was as if he said, see me, do you remember who I am? I am the Lord, which means I know what I'm doing in your life. And it also means don't doubt your, don't doubt my goodness to you. Don't doubt my power. If you, do you think I can provide for you relationally? And it was a real moment for me. I was trying to think today, why was it so powerful? I think that the power was being, feeling small in an appropriate way, but then coming up against the bigness and the glory and the grace of who God is. And it was like he was saying, you can rest secure. And maybe somebody needs to, maybe you need to hear this tonight, is that you can rest secure in God's goodness and his power to do what he wants to do in your life. You really can. Part of his promise when he says, I am the Lord, we're going to look at this next, 
is you can rest secure tonight. You can go to bed, put your head on your pillow, not doubting that the Lord intends good for you, even in the bad. And that the Lord is not going to leave you or forsake you. And that he has power to bring about precisely what he wants to. And also maybe it's a little promo for the camping trip. Sometimes the way we do that is getting out in nature, feeling your smallness and be coming up against God's bigness. So a little plug for the camping trip. I said this as someone who is an avid endorsement. I don't love the outdoors. All right. So who do you think you are? Second, last thing. Uh, then God responds. The great I am. And God really, in a beautiful way, he reveals himself more, he says in this passage, more than what he did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And here's what he does. Again, verse chapter 6 is what we're looking at. God speaks again with Moses. And Moses, if you remember, he's the one who's just, he's just given God, if you were here with us, seven reasons why he's not the guy. He has come to God with all of his insecurities. I am not a leader. I don't speak well. I don't know you well enough. I've killed a man. That's on his resume. I've fled like a coward to Midian. That's on his resume as well. I mean, he's not coming. He comes to God with seven reasons as to why he is not up for the job. And what I love about this text, if you caught it, I don't know if you caught it or not. Moses, he's discouraged. He's overwhelmed. He's mad. And God comes to him with seven promises. It's really beautiful. I've never caught this before. There's seven I will statements. If you want to look at them with me, they're in verses six to eight of chapter six. Just quickly, he says, I will bring you out from under their burdens. Two, I will deliver you from slavery. Three, I will redeem you with great acts of judgment. Four, I will take you to be my people. Five, I will be your God. Six, I got got one hand here. Six, I will bring you into the promised land. And seven, I will give it to you for a possession. And the beauty is, the beauty about being a Christian is that it's not about you. And it's not about what you've done. It really is about what God has promised to do in your life. That it's not about you working up enough effort or working up enough earning or working up enough reasons for God to love you. It really is about God's grace to you through his promises that he has fulfilled. We're going to see in and through Jesus This is what the Lord responds. He said, this is who the Lord is. Think about it with me for a second. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He is a God who always keeps his promises. He is a God who always keeps his promise to take your burdens, to deliver you from slavery, to redeem your worst mistakes. You've made some. Same. To who takes you and loves for you to be his child and who also loves to be your father And who has already at this very moment started building an eternal home for you and for me to come and live with him and enjoy him and glorify him and rest in him and rejoice in him forever. That's who he is. And what you and I need more than anything tonight is not fresh courage. It's not, I don't know where you are in your New Year's Year's resolutions. Like I don't make any anymore because I know myself well enough. You should, they can be great. But maybe some of you feel like you failed in your New Year's resolutions. It's not for you to start reading your Bible more. It's a beautiful thing. More than anything you need tonight is to see freshly who God is. This is who he is. I love the way that Tim Chester says it. He says, if you're struggling to obey God, you don't need more willpower. You don't need to white knuckle it. What you need is to know God more. To see him more. To know him more. This is the Lord's answer to Pharaoh. I am the Lord. And he's saying, I am. I am I am the one, I love the way that one guy translated this, I am the one who will be with you. I am the one who will be faithful to you. 
I am the one who has made these promises and I will never break them to you. And then how do you discern this practically? How do you discern then if that's who the Lord is? How do you discern his, his voice in your life? And this is something that's been really helpful to me. I'm going to share it. If it's helpful, great. If it's not, fine. But I was wrestling with an issue in my life a few years ago, and I was trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I met with a counselor friend, and he just shared with me, maybe you've seen it before, but he said, here's some practical ways. We know that God reveals himself through his word, and we know that that's the work of the Spirit. We know that. We know that God has given us his word because he wants us to know him. But practically, how do you know when, when you're asking for the Lord to show you, or you're asking for the Lord to, to kind of show you the way, how do you know his voice and this friend, this counselor friend, shared this really helpful thing to me. He just said, here's the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice. Let's just think about it for a second. Because Pharaoh in this text really is, he's doing the work of Satan, whether he knows it or not. He's doing the work of enslaving. He's doing the work of keeping them captive. He's doing the work of tearing them down. So how do you know the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice? Here are a few things. Satan's voice always obsesses. God's voice always calms. Satan's voice always worries. God's voice always comforts. Satan's voice always condemns. God's voice always convicts, which brings hope and even joy, David says in Psalm 32, the joy of repentance. Satan's voice always discourages. God's voice always encourages. Satan's voice always confuses. God's voice always enlightens. Satan's voice always pushes. God's voice always leads. He's the good shepherd. Satan's voice always frightens. God's voice always reassures. Satan's voice always rushes. God's voice always stills. Besides still waters, you lead me. Now, please don't over-spiritualize. I'm someone who believes in medicine in some of these conversations. I'm someone that believes that medicine can be extremely helpful. I'm someone who believes in depression. That's my story. I'm someone who believes in anxiety. That's my wife's story. So please don't over-spiritualize what I'm saying. But at the same time, please know that if the voice that is most powerful in your life is obsessing, worrying, condemning, discouraging, confusing, pushing, frightening, and rushing, it is not the Lord. It is not who he is. It is not the God who makes promises in this text and who abides with you by his Son and by his Spirit. But ultimately, we know who the Lord is and why his voice is worth obeying. Because he is the one who, the only one who fully knows you and yet truly loves you. He is the only one who knows, in this text, Moses and his people, he knows their burdens, he knows their sins, he knows their mistakes, and yet he is the one who, through his own work, is going to rescue them and bring them out of slavery and out of their burdens. I love the way, again, Tim Chester says it. He, he says, both God and Pharaoh think Israel should work, serve, and worship. The issue is this. Who will they serve? And what will that experience of service be like for them? And that's where if you wrestled with your idols, that's part of Satan's work in our life. That's part of what Pharaoh represents here. Those idols that we look to that tell us, if you just obey me, if you just listen to me, then, you're, then you will feel full, you will feel fulfilled, you'll be somebody. And if you've lived long enough, if you've wrestled with your own idols long enough, you know it's not true. You know you feel more depressed, you feel more anxious, you feel more stuck, you feel more paralyzed, you hate yourself more. Like for me, I've shared with you, mine is approval. I think if enough people like me, then I'll feel loved. And the idol of approval in my life is a harsh taskmaster. Because there is never enough approval. And as soon as you get someone's approval, guess what? It can change in a second. We put our hopes in relationships. 
We make idols out of our relationships. And as soon as you have it, it feels incredible. And then they break up with you. That's my story in college. And you feel, what is my worth? So you're going to worship and serve someone. And the Lord is saying, make it me. I love the way Paul, when he's unpacking some of this idea, he's unpacking God's promises to us. Here's how he he boils it down for us. He says in in, in 2 Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verses 17 to 22, he's wrestling. He's he's starting to defend his ministry and he's changing plans and he's giving them a reason. He says this, he says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this in this change of plans? He says, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And then he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. And this is what I love. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. God's not wishy-washy in his love for you. But in him, it is always yes. And here, catch this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I love this idea because part of what we know, this side of the Exodus, is that Jesus, he's not just the true and better Moses, he is that. He's the ultimate deliverer. But more than that, Jesus is the yes and amen of all of the promises that God gives to Moses in this text. Do you see that? That God is the one, that Jesus is the one who fulfills that promise that he will bear us out from our burdens. That Jesus is the one who ultimately faces what we cannot face, our sin and death and even Satan himself. And he wins, he conquers in such a way where he promises nothing, not even the gates of hell can prevail against us. Because that, that is the kind of deliverer he is. That his promises, all of the promises of God to bring us into the family to take us to be with him forever, to walk with us through the wilderness, all of them are yes and amen in Jesus. I I love the way that Lewis Smead says it. I'm going to read it for us. Just on your handout. When Moses, in that moment in the burning bush, he asked God, what is your name? Moses dared to ask. And the answer came, I am he who will be there with you. I am he who will be there with you. This was his name. It was all Moses needed to know. Maybe it was all he could know. I am he who will be there with you. Count on it. And then, in an unsuspecting setting, a man from Galilee talked to his friends about sealing the ancient promise in his blood. And a day later, he spilled it over God's ground on a mound they called Golgotha. I am he who will be there with you, was there with us. Dying, then rising, and then being there with us to the end of the world. Who is the Lord that you should obey his voice? He is the one, the only one, who promises to be there with you. I was thinking about this. I'll close with this. I was thinking about, I had this really sweet moment with my youngest, Sadie, today. So, confession as a parent, you don't know this yet, but when your kid gives you, like, something they made for you at school, most of the time, the moment is, oh, that's really sweet, and then you put it in your fridge for, like, a month or two, and then it just slowly makes its way to the trash. Just to be real with you. Not because you don't love your kids. My kids are amazing. Because a lot of times you're like, okay, thank you. That drawing is incredible. And then just sort of, let me just just look that way. Because we can't can't keep them all. I got four kids, you can't keep all of them. Sorry if this is the fence of the year, you find this this unsentimental. But today, I got a valentine from Sadie late, about two weeks late. 
87, which is my littlest. But man, that thing reduced me to tears. Because she said, dear dad, you are so courageous. I feel so safe with you. I trust you. (laughs) She said, you are a good man. I love you. Sadie. She actually forgot to sign it, but I knew it was from. It was from. from. But what did I feel? Let me tell you what I felt. I felt love. That was amazing. We long for someone to see us that way. We just do. But part of the tension you feel is uh, you want to gather your daughter and say, but Sadie, I've broken so many promises to you. I've not, a lot of times, been a good man. I've lost my temper. I've rushed you to bed because I wanted some, some me time. You know, you think, like, here, how many promises, just like for me with my kids, but it doesn't, how many promises to your friends? How many promises to your parents? How many promises have you broken in your life? And yet the gospel for us tonight says, you are one who has broken promises. But there is one who will never break a single promise to you. His name is Jesus. Rest in his goodness and in his power tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us like that. We thank you that we can confess our sin to you and we're not met with shame. We're not met with condemnation. We're not met with disgust. We're not met often in the ways that we meet each other, even in this room, that we can confess our sin to you and know that you are the one who knows us fully and loves us truly to the point where you will never break a single promise to us and we can look at Calvary and we know the love that you have for us and would you help us tonight. We need your help not just to see who you are, but to see what it is that you've done for us and to help us tonight. Lord, help us not just to see it, but to rest in it and to live in it and to believe it, and to rejoice in the gospel. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand with me. We're going to close out by singing that ancient hymn, the doxology. I'll kick us out. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you guys so much for coming to our Hope to see you again soon.